I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to talk about conspiracy theories, but probably not the ones you think I'm going to talk about. What does that mean? Well, you're going to have to think about it for a couple of minutes more, because first up, we have shout-outs. Laura, Daniel, and another Laura, thank you all so much. For everybody that's been asking me questions about the Patreon, and hey, can you do this perk, and hey, can you do that perk... The answer is almost exclusively yes. Unless it's too crazy or illegal in some states, yes, I will do those perks. Uh, One, actually more than one listener, asked about a possible drunken metaphysical bonus episode just for the Patreon. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I'll be honest, I'm not sure if that's going to be happening. But... I am planning an episode just for the Patreons, just for the patrons, just on Patreon, just for you guys. I've got the episode written out. I've got three episodes actually written out, but the one I think I'm going to put on Patreon, I'm going to see how it comes out. If I like it, I'm going to put it up there. If I don't like it, I'm going to pick the next one. But there's going to be one full episode, and I mean full episode, that's just for the patrons. So if you don't like that, well, become a patron. What what can I do for you? I, I can't make you like something. Anyhow, if you'd like to know what the hell I'm talking about right now, head on over to Patreon.com and look up Paranormal Almanac. For as little as $1 a month, it helps me to make this show the best it can possibly be. And some of you are probably saying right now, this is the best it could be? No, it's not. Pay me. It'll get better, I swear. Because as you know... I don't like to just regurgitate a bunch of BS stories that I find online, and I could. Trust me, it'd be a lot quicker. No, I actually like to research, investigate, debunk when I can, prove stuff I can't, and get the timelines straight. I can't stress this enough. If you go to four websites, if you look up, I don't know, look up Loch Ness Monster and go to four different websites, the top four on Google, whatever they may be, I guarantee you one's probably going to be the Wikipedia, but whatever. Go to those four websites and look up the dates of the sightings. I am betting money, and I haven't done this. I could be mistaken. I really haven't done this. I'm not trying to set it up, but I'm guessing that the dates of Loch Ness Monster sightings will not be consistent among those top four websites. Why? Because people don't do any research. They regurgitate and make up facts because it gets them hits. Bottom line, that's all it is. What I'm trying to do for you guys, and for me actually, is give the facts. Give the facts as I can find them. Do a little bit of research, do a little bit of investigation, and try to tell you guys the truth. Whether it's real or whether it's debunked, I'm trying to tell you guys the truth. But let's move on to Paranormal News. I really should come up... Why should I come up with a jingle? If you guys want to come up with a jingle for Paranormal News... I'll send you something fun. So send in your best paranormal news jingles um, on Facebook. Sure, why not? Anyhow, paranormal news. 
This one is a bizarre one, and it is true. I looked it up. France is being invaded by giant killer worms. I'm just going to basically read you from this article because that's how bizarre it is. New research suggests that several species of these creatures, known as hammerhead flatworms, have slithered their way into the country as an invasive species. They're an invasive species. Perhaps even stranger is the fact that they've been establishing themselves in France almost undetected for decades. And the news story goes on to say that hammerhead flatworms don't look like they belong on Earth. And I got to agree, they're a ribbon-shaped worm with like a hammerhead shark-shaped head. And they're real. Most of them are about the size and shape of a fragment of cooked fettuccine noodle, but some giants can reach intimidating lengths of a meter or more. For you Americans listening, three feet or more. Giant killer, three-foot-long hammerhead worms. Not only are they gross and weird-looking, but they are actually killing earthworms and slugs which they immobilize with powerful muscles and some poison like the poison found in pufferfish. Once the prey is captured, the flatworm everts its stomach out of its mouth, secretes digestive enzymes, and slurps the victim's liquefied tissues up into its guts. You can go ahead and Google them if you want and take a look at these weird-ass-looking worms that are sucking up, that are spitting out their stomach, digesting the earthworm or slug and sucking them back up but i gotta say one they're real and two they're really creepy so if that's not paranormal news i don't know what is because but enough about the weird tremor like graboids let's get right into the conspiracies first up these conspiracy theories are real and people really believe them now i'm not saying i necessarily believe all of them but at least one on this list I will provide some evidence that they might even be true, that one of these at very least might even be true. But for most of these, don't worry, there is zero evidence that they're true. So everybody take a minute, go get your tinfoil hats ready just in case they are. And here are some of the oddest, most bizarre conspiracy theories out there. And again, these aren't the ones you're thinking I'm going to be talking about, probably. If you are thinking of these then you should be on the show for ESP. Anyhow, a couple of years ago, a new theory sprung up everywhere online. People started making all of these really weird videos and posting them on YouTube, and these videos all seem to originate from Georgia in the United States. What videos am I talking about? Well, it's not the Georgia Guidestones. I've already talked about them before. So what conspiracy theory is popping up all over Georgia? Well, when the snow started to fall on Georgia because of climate change, and that's real, that's not a conspiracy theory, climate change is real. If you don't believe that, you're probably not going to enjoy this list or this podcast. The earth isn't flat. Climate change is real. I'm sorry. That's just true. But anyhow, when snow started to fall on Georgia, someone had the odd thought that, A, this isn't normal, so it must be fake chemical snow from the government meant to poison Georgians, especially lower-class Georgians. How they connected those dots is a real Pepe Silvia kind of thing, but nonetheless, they connected those dots. So Georgians took to YouTube, determined to demonstrate that neither matches, nor lighters, nor blowtorches could melt the strange snow-like stuff. And on these videos, the snow blackens, 
Some of it twists like plastic, but it stubbornly refuses to melt. We all know that airplane fuel can't melt steel. I'm kidding. But why isn't blowtorches and matches and lighters, why aren't they melting snow? What's that about? So did this prove that the snow was man-made and fake? Was it really chemicals made to poison us? Well, no. Hey, fake snow conspirist, if you're listening, put that snow stuff in a microwave or on the stove. Spoiler, it melts. Let's talk science for a second here. The blackened snow is caused by soot from the lighter because butane burns inefficiently, and as snow turns into slush under a blowtorch, it only appears not to melt. Well, it is melting, but slowly. And it's melting because of matches and lighters and blowtorches inefficiencies. So if you actually have taken some of that fake snow and just put it in a microwave or put it on the stovetop, it would have melted like any other snow. That's just the inefficiencies of the lighter, the matches, or the blowtorch. So, sorry everybody, the first one on this list, science has already debunked. But seriously... Who thought this one up? Who looked at snow in Georgia? I get that it's weird. We had snow here in Southern California, and it was weird, but I didn't think chemtrails or any of that weird crap. I thought, huh, that's weird. It's snowing in Southern California. I don't think it's fake snow, though. But anyhow, science has already proven it will melt if you just know how to do it. Boom. Snow in Georgia debunked. Next up, what year is it? Go ahead, you can answer. What year is it? Well, no, you're wrong, and here's why. By the way, you're right, this theory is wrong, but let's play along for a second anyhow, shall we? Oh, also, I can't really hear you. This is a one-way podcast, so I assume you all said 2018. Unless you're listening to this in the future, then it's whatever year it is in the future, 2019, 2020, whatever year. But anyhow, let's go on with this one for a second. In the 1980s, German historian Herbert Illig, Herbert Illig, don't know, don't care, noticed that there were scant archaeological records from 614 to 911 AD. Ooh, 9-11. Spooky. So obviously he concluded those 300 or so years of history just never happened. It's called the Phantom Timeline Hypothesis, and... Basically, it states that all documents referring to that time period were forged and that contemporary archaeologists worked hard to cover up the truth. In actuality, we're currently living in the year 1708. Well, I'll be honest, it could be 1709 or 1710. I didn't look at the date of this conspiracy theory article. I'm assuming we're living somewhere around the year 1708 and that someone has been messing with all of our calendars. Why? Well, let's just dig into this hypothesis for a minute. The phantom time hypothesis is a historical conspiracy theory, and it was first published in 1991. Ooh, so you guys do the math. I was told there'd be no math on this podcast, so it's probably not 1708. It's probably a couple 20 years after that. So let's just say, let's round up to 1730 and keep moving on. So it was first published in 1991, and it hypothesizes a conspiracy theory by the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III, Pope Sylvester II, and possibly the Emperor Constantine VII. And what they were doing was they were fabricating the AD dating system retrospectively 
in order to place them at a special year of A.D. 1000. So all these religious figures, in a nutshell, all these religious figures got together and said, we need it to be A.D. 1000. So let's rewrite history, let's forge some documents, and let's make up some physical evidence. So according to this scenario, so that entire 300-year period, technically 297-year period, the early Middle Ages were all faked so that we could get to this religious phenomenal year of 1000. So let's debunk this theory right away. Thankfully, science exists, and they checked on the alleged calendar discrepancies by looking at ancient cosmic events. That's right. Through the study of ancient astronomy, scientists can prove that phenomena such as Halley's Comet have occurred at regular, predictable intervals for thousands of years. Ancient Chinese astronomers took great pains to record the exact position of Halley's Comet in the sky about once every 76 years, and modern astronomical software can be used to verify their sightings. So, sorry everybody, two for two debunked by science. But can they debunk this next one? This next one is my favorite, by the way. Okay, this next one, I'm going to need you guys to give this one a chance. Because right away, you're going to scream, Bullshit! But... This one might be the most reasonable one on here, at least for me. All right, are you ready? The next conspiracy theory on this list is Stevie Wonder isn't blind. And if you haven't heard this one yet, oh boy, I love this one. If you have heard it, come on, guys. It's pretty cool, right? So I know, I know. Hold on a second. Now, I'm not saying that Stevie Wonder wasn't blind, but... Through amazing leaps in science, in real science, this is Kurt saying this, through amazing leaps in real science, Stevie Wonder appears to not be blind anymore. I know, you want some proof, so here we go. There are videos of Stevie Wonder at Lakers games, and I mean a lot of them. He goes all the time, and he is following the game watching along as the players go back and forth down the court. Now, he's not listening and keeping his head tilted or down, but he is literally watching the game, and as stuff is happening, he immediately reacts in the correct way. He cheers, he boos, he's shocked, he's amazed. I don't know sports, I'm just saying that I've seen the videos of Stevie Wonder watching the games, and he is watching along. He is not following along. He is not listening along. He's not a few seconds behind everybody. He is watching along as it happens. Now, there are a ton of videos, like I said, of this, and people have started to notice. People that have sat around him are looking at him going, how in the F is Stevie Wonder looking at blah, 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 throwing the ball to blah, blah, blah? That's about as much sports as we're going to be on this podcast. I'm letting you know now. Um, but anyhow, they're watching him watch the game, and they're amazed. Sports casters are amazed. He's there all the time. I don't think he's necessarily courtside, but he is pretty damn close to courtside, so it's pretty obvious. But that's just the first of many, because this next one is very interesting, and it's from a little while ago. There's this paparazzi video 
of Stevie Wonder jokingly taking a paparazzi's camera and taking and using it to take a photo of Michael Jackson. Now, Michael Jackson's dead. That's not a conspiracy theory. He's dead. I used to date someone that was the mortician that, you know, embalmed Michael Jackson. Sorry, everybody. Michael Jackson is dead. He's not like Tupac, which, getting off on a tangent here, I had a coworker a while ago, and this is right when it happened, and not right when it happened, but a year after it happened. I had a coworker who received, who regularly received postcards from Tupac after he died, talking about stuff that only she and he would know. She was a backup dancer, I believe in a couple of his videos, but definitely on tour. And she was getting postcards from Tupac after he died. I know, I went off on a weird tangent there. Uh, Tupac is alive, Michael Jackson's dead. Back to Stevie Wonder. So Stevie Wonder takes the camera from the paparazzi. And here's the kicker. He holds the camera up to his eye to take the photo. Not like he kind of just put the camera in front of him and just started taking random photos hoping to get Michael Jackson. No, no. He held up the camera like you hold up a camera. And then he took the photo of Michael Jackson, a crystal clear photo of Michael Jackson. So how did he do it? And why would he do it? Why would he hold up the camera to his face to take a photo? How would he know to even do that? It's not like people tell him, hey, I'm holding up a camera to my eye now so I can take a photo of you. No, they just say smile and they take the photo. He also looked at the paparazzi and then looked back right at Michael Jackson, who wasn't talking, and moved a little bit. So how would he know that's what people do with cameras? I don't know. There's still more, though. That's not the end of it. Okay, there are a number of reports from Best Buy employees that Stevie Wonder goes there to buy his TVs, and he stands in front of them, all of the ones on the wall, He stands in front of them watching the display models to pick the best TV time and time again. He also asks questions about what's the best image, the blackest blacks, and he compares the TVs while he's watching them. And he says to the employees he is an avid TV lover and wants the best image. Need more? Okay, I'll give it to you because I'm doing the podcast. In 2010, and this is, the, this is the best one. This one's the best one, in my opinion. In 2010, Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney performed in the White House East Room. Now, clumsily, and this was filmed, this was on TV. Clumsily, Paul McCartney knocks over a microphone as he's running off of the stage, basically. And it's right in front of Stevie Wonder. So what does Stevie Wonder do? Well, Stevie catches the falling mic stand in midair. The stand is falling. It's got one of those tilted stands. The microphone's a little closer to the singer. So it starts to fall. Stevie Wonder, not missing a beat, grabs the mic stand in mid-fall and keeps on singing. Explain that one. Oh, and by the way, that video will definitely be on the Paranormal Almanac Facebook page because I need you guys to see it and explain it to me. It didn't start to hit him. And he was like, oh, something's hitting me. It must be the mic. And he grabs the mic and puts it back up there. It's loud as hell. They're all singing. Everybody's singing around him. And he's the one that grabs it and keeps on singing, just like someone who can see. So, again, I'm sure that Stevie Wonder was blind at one point. 
but it sure doesn't seem like he's completely blind anymore. It sure seems like maybe now he is just technically legally blind and can kind of see. There's a lot more of Stevie knowing where someone is and reaching out to hug him or put his arm around them, of Stevie looking at a person before they start speaking as he's being introduced to them. There's a lot of these. So I'm just saying, in my mind, this is probably the most plausible one on this list. So that should tell you something about this list. Okay, let's move on. And let's continue with the musician theme for just one more second. And this one is to one of my all-time favorite bands, The Beatles. I love They Might Be Giants, and I love The Beatles. Now, there are a few theories out there from, you know, the Paul is dead theory. You know, if you don't know that one, um, it was thought that Paul had died in a car crash and was replaced with a double, a duplicate Paul, to keep The Beatles train a-moving. And they also did not-so-subtle clues on the Sgt. Pepper's album and on the Let It Be album covers. And they also said Paul's not dead backwards on a song. Uh, But this one is a little bit weirder. This one is about the alternate universe Beatles album, Everyday Chemistry. This theory, or the story behind this theory, is that a man named James Richards describes meeting a man, Jonas, who lives both in our world and also a parallel universe, Earth, in which the Beatles never broke up. Now, Jonas and Richard both discuss their enjoyment of the Beatles, and just before leaving the parallel universe and traveling back to his own, and the story doesn't quite explain how James Richards, who's from our universe, went to the parallel universe, because it's all about Jonas being from the parallel universe. But anyhow, it doesn't matter. The story is that just before James Richards came back to our universe, he stole a cassette tape containing one of the Beatles albums from that parallel alternate timeline. Now, this is important to the story, for him anyway. Uh, Richards denies that the album was composed of mashups, reasoning that even though in the alternate universe the Beatles hadn't broken up, that didn't mean their future music ideas disappeared. So his theory is, Of course they still played the same songs as the solo Beatles did after they broke up in our universe. They're still those kind of musicians, but on this album, Everyday Chemistry, they're the Beatles performing these songs. Look, I would love for this one to be real. I would love access to alternate realities where the Beatles kept recording or even just one reality where John Lennon wasn't senselessly murdered. But sadly, this album, Everyday Chemistry, which you can listen to online, by the way. You can go to YouTube and just type in Everyday Chemistry and listen to it. Sadly, it's not real. It's a very obvious, badly done mashup from the solo Beatle albums after they broke up in our universe. And it's not even done well, to be honest with you. It took me all of about two seconds to recognize where he got the samples from. And like I said, he doesn't even mash them up very well. As much as I wanted this one to be true, sadly, it isn't. So science, I am waiting for you to figure out how to get us into parallel universes so I can have new Beatles music to listen to. I wish it was true, but it's not. Okay, so... 
To be completely forthright, I stopped because my dinner was ready and I ate my dinner. So let's move on to the next one. Now, this next one I copied almost word for word from the subreddit because it's done so well. I wasn't going to investigate it anymore because it's just a really dumb conspiracy theory, but it was done so well. I, you know, I'm like, I just figured let's just go through it exactly like it's written. It's called the Finland Conspiracy Theory, and it states that Finland is not a real country. Not only is it not a real country, but there's actually no land mass there. It doesn't exist. The space between Sweden and Russia is actually empty ocean. Now, I get that this notion is ridiculous, but that's why the conspiracy works, in my opinion. And it's also why people are afraid to speak out against the existence of Finland. So, here we go. This is what's called the Finland Conspiracy Theory. Finland was first created sometime during the Cold War between Russia and the West. It was also around this time that environmentalism and the idea of preserving our planet was really taking off, which, that part of the theory, eh, not so much. And it's due to both of these things that the two of the main players in the Finland conspiracy came to work closely with each other, Russia and Japan. So I know some of you are saying right now, um, Russia and Japan don't really get along. But maybe they do, only in secret. Because even as early as 1925, Japan and the Soviet Union had secret deals with each other regarding fishing rights between the two countries with the Soviet Union giving up much of its fishing rights to Japan with seemingly no explanation at all. Here's where the conspiracy theory began. These secretive treaties and alliances continued right up until just before the fall of the Soviet Union. Gorbachev himself made trips to Japan months before the fall of the Soviet Union, stating the entire time how the relations between them were improving, even when Soviet relations with the rest of the world were deteriorating. So, in fact, the entire past 100 years of Japanese-Russian relations bring up many unanswered questions. Why, at the height of World War II, were the battles between these two countries minimal, despite being on opposing sides? Well, they weren't very minimal, but okay, let's continue on. Why did Japan sign a peace treaty with Russia in 1941, just months before their allies, Germany, went to war with Russia. That one, I don't know. Why were relations between Japan and Russia always good throughout the Cold War, despite the major geopolitical differences between the countries and close geographical positions that you think would increase tensions? Good point. I don't know. Apparently, though, the answer is simple. They shared a common secret, a common asset that worked in both of their favors. And that asset, you might have guessed it, was Finland. So according to this conspiracy theory, which I'll still explain more because at this point it doesn't make any more sense than it did at the beginning of it, but at this point, according to them, it's unclear when Finland was first thought up. Some say it was during the Cold War. Others say it was as far back as the 20s. But the necessity of Finland is quite simple. Japan can fish in the region of ocean between Sweden and Russia without worry for any environmental repercussions. After all, nobody's going to expect fishing regulations to be broken in a place where almost everyone thinks 
There's a landmass. Huh? Pretty good. And in return, Russia gets a percentage of the fish to distribute amongst their populace. So it's a simple case of fishing in the Finnish Sea, transporting it across Russia. That was the real reason for the construction of the Trans-Siberian Railway, by the way. So anyhow, they're taking these fish that they caught in the ocean where supposedly Finland is, but we all know now it's not, and then shipping it from the eastern Russian coast to Japan under the disguise of Nokia products. It's so simple. This is why Nokia is the largest Finnish company, and it's also why Japan is the largest importer of Nokia products, despite the fact that very few people even own Nokia phones in Japan. There's some unanswered questions at this point. Let's get to those, shall we? Uh, What about the Finnish people? Are they all in on the conspiracy theory? Well, according to this theory, no. People from Finland genuinely believe they're from Finland. In reality, they're from small towns on either the eastern part of Sweden, the western part of Russia, or the northern part of Estonia. Question two, what about all of Finland's other exports other than Nokia? Well, they answer with, Finland's three biggest and three most well-known areas of industry are oil, tech, and software. The oil is gathered in offshore platforms where the rest of us believe the landmass of Finland is. Aha! Again, the Japanese get to avoid rigging regulations in this respect. The tech companies have already been explained above with the whole Nokia thing, and the software companies can easily redirect their IP address through the Finnish sea. As for other Finnish exports, and this is according to this Reddit article, this isn't my joke coming, well, claiming Santa comes from your country isn't a viable way to get people to believe in it. See? That's why I gave that disclaimer. That's not a good joke. Question three. What about Helsinki? That is an enormous city on the world stage. The answer is, Helsinki is located in eastern Sweden. It's not like the people that are flying to this country would ever notice that they're actually in eastern Sweden, not in Finland. Question four. What about everywhere else in Finland? There's a lot to it, and it couldn't all be made up. Answer is, well, 99% of Finland is forest. A lot of it doesn't need to be accounted for when addressing Finnish geography. Question five. Hey, why did other countries go along with it? Their answer is, At first, it was a sign of goodwill between the Western countries and the Soviet Union. It was a bargaining chip that could be played at a later date. But Finland has since evolved to something so much more. It is basically an idealistic placeholder for what countries should aspire to. No real country could so consistently place first in education, healthcare, gender equality, literacy, rates, national stability. It's the least corrupt government in the world. And it has freedom of the press. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, Finland, we're on to you now. We get it. No country could be as good as you, Finland, as I say that in air quotes. Question six. Why the name Finland? The answer is the country was originally made for fishing. What do fish have? Fins. Thus, Finland. Again, that's all from this Reddit. Question seven. What about the Finnish language? The answer is, look up the similarities between Japanese and Finnish. It may surprise you how similar they are. And you know what? 
That did surprise me. This is Kurt speaking. That did surprise me. That actually did surprise me, I got to admit. Considering the vast differences between Finnish and Japanese, there are some correlations between the two languages. Question 8. I'm Finnish. I don't know who this person is. I'm Finnish, and your attack on my people and culture is insulting. Their answer to this imaginary person that he just made up is, I'm not insulting Finnish people or culture. I don't even deny that there is a Finnish culture. When you have a collective of a few million people identifying as Finnish, then of course a culture will be built around it. I'm simply saying that the landmass of Finland isn't actually there. It doesn't mean there can't be a culture or identity of being Finnish, however. Question 9. This is an enormous conspiracy to keep secret. How could nobody else have realized it? Well, their answer is, other people have realized it. But imagine the ridiculousness of the statement, I don't believe Finland exists. Let me pause right there. I can imagine that. I do believe Finland exists. But let's continue on with their ridiculous theory. Even if we didn't have undeniable proof of something put in front of us, we would still hold the opinion that most of our friends, families, and acquaintances hold to not disrupt social convention. It's part of the human condition. Everybody's been taught that Finland exists. Hence, Finland exists. Now, I'm going to go off on a little sidebar here. This is Kurt again. I'm going to go off on a little sidebar here. There is an island. I believe it's just north of Australia. I'm trying to use my memory here. I believe it's just north of Australia that was on GPS. That's been on maps for 100 years. It was on GPS. It was on Google Earth. And then it was discovered that the island never existed. So, yeah, strange things happen, but it wasn't an island the size of Finland with a bunch of Finnish people working and living there. But let's move on to question 10 because it's about, well, what about GPS and satellite images? Their answer is, it's manipulated and forged. In the parts of Estonia, Sweden, and Russia that are allocated as, quote, Finnish zones, the GPS locations are changed to match that of Finland. Satellite images are forged as well. So, at this point in the podcast, you should be thinking, oh my god, I've been lied to for so many years. Stevie Wonder can see, which he can, I believe he can, and now I find out that Finland doesn't even exist, which it does, it, it exists, but Bizarre, isn't it? That one is a weird one. I know it's all BS, but it's a fun one, and people actually believe this. It's growing in numbers that people actually believe this. And I believe that people actually believe this because of all the flat earther people that keep messaging me. Anyhow, next one is one I'm surprised I hadn't heard before investigating theories for this episode. It's called Project Bluebeam. And it's a conspiracy theory that claims that NASA is attempting to implement a New Age religion with the Antichrist as its head and start a new world order. And all of it is via a technologically simulated second coming. Now, how are they going to do this? Wait, you know what? That's a really wordy one, so I think, you, I think I need to say it again. You need to hear this one again. NASA is attempting to implement a New Age religion with the Antichrist as the head of this religion, and start a new world order. As if that wasn't crazy enough, they're going to do this via a technologically simulated second coming of the Antichrist. So, how are they going to do this, you might ask? Well, first up is step one. 
Step one requires the breakdown of all archaeological knowledge, and the plan is to fake earthquakes at precise locations around the planet. Why? Well, the earthquakes will reveal fake new archaeological discoveries that will, quote, tell the world how religion is fake, specifically Christian and Muslim doctrines. This one just got started and is already scaring the hell out of me. Whatever it is that will be discovered has to be so groundbreaking that it destroys not one, but two of the leading religions of the world. So I personally can't think of one specific thing, but maybe that's why it says a series of earthquakes. Although I gotta say, if the next few earthquakes start producing anti-religious relics or proof of the fact that religion doesn't exist, I would question why all of a sudden natural disasters are doing this. But... That's just step one. Let's move on to step two, which is even weirder than step one. Now, step two involves a gigantic space show. Yeah, you heard that right. Step two involves a gigantic space show. It's a space show that will be a three-dimensional holographic laser projection and will be beamed all over the planet. The projections will take the shape of whatever deity is most predominant in that area. Remember, it's going to be beamed all over the planet and will speak in all languages. At the end of this light show, the gods will all emerge into one god, the Antichrist. Step two, way wackier than step one. So this stage will apparently be accomplished with the aid of a Soviet computer that will be fed, quote, with the minute physio-psychological particulars based on their studies of the anatomy and electromechanical composition of the human body and the studies of the electrical, chemical, and biological properties of the human brain. Can you tell I didn't write that part? And every human has been allocated a unique radio wavelength. Let's pause there for a second. Let's go back and examine that one for a second. Every human has been allocated a unique radio wavelength. Sound familiar, Yanni or Laurel? It's already begun. Step two has already begun. They're preparing. It's time to run. The Antichrist is coming. Now, these same computers are the ones that are capable of inducing suicidal thoughts in other conspiracy theories. So... The more insane the conspiracy theories get, although I got to say, I believe the whole inducing suicidal thoughts way more than I believe the second coming of an antichrist. But these theories, the more insane they get, the more they start to connect. Again, very Pepe Silvia of the people. I do believe that they can project sounds and thoughts into people's heads. And I think that's pretty much been proven now. There's also that weird-ass thing that's going on in Cuba where they're doing ultrasonic frequencies that people can't hear but are making people deaf and going crazy and hurting people left and right. So strange things can happen. Is it this strange? Well, probably not. But I haven't even gotten to the second part of step two. That's right. Step two is a multi-step process. So the second part of step two happens when the hologram result in the dissolution of social and religious order. Quote, setting loose millions of programmed religious fanatics through demonic possession on a scale never witnessed before. Now, the United Nations plans to use Beethoven's Ode to Joy 
as the anthem for the introduction of a new age, one world religion. I guess if you start hearing Ode to Joy, it may already be too late. But now we're moving on to step three. Now, step three is a little easier. Step three is telepathic electronic two-way communication. Now, it involves making people think their God is speaking to them through telepathy, projected into the head of each person individually using extreme low-frequency radio waves yanni. Step four, actually, has three steps. So their steps get more and more steps as the multi-step steps happen. Steps. What's step four? Well, step four is three parts. One, making humanity think that an alien invasion is about to occur at every major city. Well, okay, done and done. I think most people do think an alien invasion is about to happen. So step four, step one, done. Step four, step two, making the Christians think the rapture is about to happen. Seems like one is scheduled for every couple of years, so I'm going to say... You're kind of messing it up, but you're kind of doing okay with step two for step four. The next step, it's a mixture of electronic and supernatural forces, allowing the supernatural forces to travel through fiber optic, coax cables, power, and telephone lines to penetrate all electronic equipment and appliances. So basically, it's a ghost in the machine. I've had that. You heard that on one that one episode. I've had the ghost in the machine. Step four, I've had almost every step of step four. So apparently a device has already been perfected that will lift enormous numbers of people as in a rapture. And uh, I'm thinking it's a UFO abduction. So that one sounds legit. So step four I'm working on. So anyhow, let's wrap it up. Let's get to the end of Project Blue Beam, which is really fucking bonkers. Project Blue Beam proponents believe psychological preparations have already been made, and that because of 2001 A Space Odyssey, Star Wars, the Star Trek series, they all involve alien invasions from space and all nations coming together. Well, the first two Star Trek movies don't involve an invasion from space and all the nations coming together. The third one is a peaceful contact, but and that Jurassic Park propagandizes evolution in order to make people think God's words are lies. So they're saying that uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, 2001, I'm a guess, Firefly, and basically every other sci-fi show that's out there have all been setting us up for this alien invasion that's imminent. Even though the alien invasion is fake and it's not really a rapture, it's a UFO abduction, I don't know. This one gets really convoluted. But let's talk about what happens if you don't believe these multi-stepped crap loads of BS that they're trying to give to us. What happens if you don't believe in Project Bluebeam? Well, all people will be required to take an oath to Lucifer with a ritual initiation to enter the New World Order. Resistors, that's us, will be categorized as follows. Christian children will be kept for human sacrifice or sexual slaves. Prisoners to be used in medical experiments. Prisoners to be used as living organ banks. Healthy workers in slave labor camps. Uncertain prisoners will be sent to international re-education centers to repent on television and learn to glorify the New World Order. Not to mention the International Execution Center. And an as-yet-unknown seventh classification. 
One, two, three, four, five, six. That is seven. That's crazy. If you guys don't believe in Project Bluebeam, the best you can hope for is to be a healthy worker in a slave labor camp, I guess. Because the rest of them seem really bad. So where did all this crazy Project Bluebeam crap come from? These multi-stepped, really batshit crazy theories? Well, the allegations were presented in 1994 by journalist and conspiracy theorist Sergei Monast and later published in his book, Project Bluebeam, NASA. Proponents of the theory allege that Monast and other unnamed journalists, who both died of heart attacks in 1996, were in fact assassinated because they figured out this plot. This very simple-to-figure-out plot. Uh-huh, okay, sure. It is odd that they both died of heart attacks in 1996, that they were both a huge proponent of Project Bluebeam and trying to get the word out to the masses, that is a little odd, and it's true, they did in fact die, both of them, in 1996. So the proponents of this theory say that they were both assassinated and that the Canadian government kidnapped Monast's daughter in an effort to dissuade him from investigating Project Bluebeam any further. When he kept going, he was killed. Now, the project was apparently supposed to be implemented in 1983, but... Uh, I'm hoping you guys know it didn't happen. It was then set for implementation in 1995 and then again in 1996. Now, when these didn't happen, Monast thought Project Bluebeam would be brought to fruition by the year 2000. So I guess it's just a little bit behind schedule. But, uh, you know, everybody, let's all be patient and get ready to welcome our new evil overlords. I, for one, can't wait. So that just about does it for, let's just call this part one of many crazy conspiracy theories because there are a ton more. I know a bunch of you want me to do an episode about Flat Earth. I don't want to do that because it doesn't exist. It's bullshit. I know some of you guys want me to do one on 9-11 or on Sandy Hook. Let me just stop you right here and say, Sandy Hook is not going to happen. Maybe I'll entertain you guys and do one on 9-11, but Sandy Hook, guys, that's not happening. Those poor kids died. Don't listen to BS online that say that those kids never existed or that they were actors. I'm very sorry to break this to you. People lost their children. It's not something to mess around about. It really happened. It was horrifically bad. I will not do an episode on Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook happened. Children died. The end. Wow, I got to apologize. It's a really downer way to end this episode. So before I sign off, what do you guys think is the oddest conspiracy theory out there? One that you've heard people talking about, or maybe you know someone actually believes. I want to hear about them because I want to do another one of these episodes because they entertain the hell out of me. Also, Stevie Wonder can see. He's faking it. And Stevie, if you're listening, come on this show. Give me the exclusive that you can see. I think it's awesome. I still dig your music. I still like your style. You can still shake your head and while you sing and dance. I don't care. I think you're freaking awesome, Stevie Wonder. And I think you should see and let the world know that you can see. So, anyhow... Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.
Today, Z.